Listener Production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Join us each week as we break down one issue in global politics so that you can understand what's going on in the world right now, but also what's likely to happen in the future. Our host, Dr. Keith Souter, is one of Australia's leading commentators on global affairs and geopolitics. My name is Sasha Barbagat. I'm a journalist. Calls have been growing louder in recent years for the world to step away from the US dollar for trade, with a number of factors at play. But this isn't a standalone incident, and the more pressing question could be, are we seeing the fall of America? It is a big question. Keith joins me now to discuss it. Keith, why do countries want to move away from the greenback? Yes, well, I think a sense of history is important here. So when you're conducting trade from one country to another, you need to be able to pay in a common currency of some sort. Mm. So for a long time, that was often gold. Yep. Gold, however, is very heavy to carry. (laughs) A colleague of mine was in the Middle East, was shown a pile of gold, uh, gold ingots. He said, well, what's to stop me? Because there are so few guards this is at an airport. He says, you know, I could walk up and pick up one of those gold ingots and run away. Yeah. So his mind has said, well, let's go over and look at these gold ingots. So he picked one up and then suddenly realised how heavy. <laughs> if, you, if you're carrying gold ingots, you're not able to run very far or very fast. No. So, But anyway, gold was the basic unit of currency and remains to this day. It's worth bearing in mind, this is not financial advice, but it's worth bearing in mind that 2,000 years ago when... Jesus received his present of gold from the wise people from Persia, that what you could buy 2,000 years ago with that, whatever the amount of gold was, theoretically, you could buy today. Right. So as inflation has proceeded, gold has kept its value. Mm. I can see the logic why some people really fall in love with gold. Mm -hmm. So that was gold. Then, as I say, it's very heavy to carry around all sorts of things. And so people began writing bills as bankers saying, or originally as jewellers, saying that we do have this certain amount of money that belongs to Sasha. And so that then becomes your own way of being able to, instead of carrying gold, just carry these bits of paper, which is a lot more convenient to do so. And then, of course, moving on several centuries, the bits of paper become national currencies, sometimes local currencies. You know, banks often issued their own notes. So there are all sorts of problems about convertibility. Mm. But eventually you end up with Britain as the global superpower in the 19th century. And so the British sovereign became the basis of the global transactions and then the British pound. The pound is what's called a fiat currency. So it means that it's not necessarily backed by gold. And this is the problem for the United States dollar now. It's a fiat currency. So fiat, nothing to do with automobiles. Fiat is a command. So I command you to treat this little bit of paper as though it were worth $1 or $10 or a pound or whatever. Mm -hmm. So we're in this era now of fiat currency because we're running short of gold. I know there are people who want us to go back to the gold standard, but we don't actually produce that much gold. And so it would be very difficult to put the global economy, given its current size, back onto a full gold standard. So you've got, therefore, over the centuries, this evolution away from gold towards paper money and then the British pound. In France, 
you have the franc, and the franc is a very solid currency when you go to Africa, the CFA franc as it's called. I was at a conference in Africa some years ago and brought back with me some of these CFA francs from Mm. the African continent and was able to go to a local bank and change them for US dollars in the local bank. Wow. So this is a currency which is backed by the French Reserve Bank and so is widely accepted within the African continent, particularly the former French colonies. So we have then this development of paper. The problem is which common currency should we use? So as I say, it was Britain with its currency and within the French Empire, it was the, the franc. But during World War II, Britain effectively became bankrupt, couldn't maintain sufficient gold reserves, etc., to back up its pound. And so we get the reliance on the US economy and the US dollar. The United States was hardly damaged by the war. There were some isolated Japanese attacks on California, but basically America emerged unscathed from the World War II in a way that Britain and France, etc., were really badly hit by all the fighting. So the American dollar took on that role as being the global currency. Okay. Um, and for the first few years, the US government tried hard to maintain its value. There really was gold in Fort Knox to support the value of every dollar note that was issued. But when the Vietnam War got underway, the Americans just started printing extra money in order to finance the war. And if you look at the history of currency over the last 2,000 years, there is always a risk that governments will debase their own currency. It just becomes so easy to start printing extra money. Mm. And that's what the Americans did. So America technically went bankrupt in the early 1970s because it had issued more bank bills than were actually safeguarded by the gold in Fort Knox and elsewhere. Mm-hmm. It's a bit like you writing checks and there isn't the money in the bank sure. to cover those checks. Yeah. Now, in your case, we can send you to jail, mm-hmm. but you can't put the United States in jail. No. So the United States created this huge unrest by, in effect, detaching itself from the value of gold. So back in 1945... Gold was set at a price of 35 American dollars per ounce. Now it's well above that value. And it's really been completely separated from gold. But the US dollar remains the basis of a lot of international trade in Western countries and their suppliers. So, for example, at the end of World War II, President Roosevelt returning back to the United States where he'd be dying pretty well immediately afterwards, after the peace negotiations in Europe. He had a detour to the Middle East, to the Bitter Lakes near the Suez Canal, and met with an Arab leader, Saudi Arabia's leader, and said to him that America would protect Saudi Arabia if Saudi Arabia supplied oil Mm -hmm. to the Western world. Not just America, because America was still then a major producer of oil, but simply to American allies. So there was this notion of defence, for Saudi Arabia, provided they kept supplying oil. That agreement broke down in 1973 when the Arab oil countries rebelled against that agreement and dramatically increased the price of oil, which Mm -hmm. gave us the last major period of inflation. And so what we're looking at then is that the Americans try to use the power of their dollar to bend government policy in the Western world 
The Soviet Union was excluded from all of this. China was a, such a minor player. Nobody worried about the Chinese currency. So mm. everything really revolved around the US dollar. So the challenge today is if you want to buy something from overseas, which currency do you use? And the benchmark one is American dollars. But you've now got people saying, well, we don't want to have American dollars. We want to have an alternative currency. Even back at the end of World War II, when the current global economic situation was being developed, the British economist, John Maynard Keynes, who called gold a barbarous relic, they didn't like gold as a basis for an international currency system. He invented a thing called the Bancor, B-A-N-C-O-R, and he talked about trade being conducted in Bancors, which would be made up of a basket of foreign currencies. That was not acceptable to the Americans mm. because they realised this is their moment of opportunity to take on global dominance because everybody would then need to use the American dollar mm. rather than this newfangled Bancor currency that Keynes talked about. So the US dollar then becomes the basic currency. So if you want to buy anything from overseas, you have to pay for it in US dollars. And some people are saying, well, we no longer have the confidence in the American economy. Yeah, so there are a couple of countries that are specifically calling for it, aren't there? Do you know which ones they are? Yeah, so the current one of, is China. Yeah. So China is not necessarily saying that our currency, which is the yuan or the renminbi, should become the basic currency, but it is simply expressing reservations about what's going on in the United States. There's obviously political chaos in the United States. As we record this program, there's a whole question about whether or not America will default on its debts. When the US government has to borrow money, it issues bonds. So US Treasury bonds are as solid as anything else you're likely to get. But if America is not able to resolve what is called the debt ceiling crisis, then it will start perhaps to renege on those bonds. So China is just simply saying, we don't think America can be relied upon to continue to run a, a solid standard global currency. And also, of course, China is manoeuvring itself, ready to become the number one country in the world. And they are doing it via trade. So the Americans acquired their global supremacy by military force. That's what they're able to do with negotiating with the, the leader of Saudi Arabia in 1945. It's the promise of American military power. China doesn't operate that way. The United States maintains 600 or perhaps 900 bases around the world. As far as I can tell, China's only got two. So China is not trying to go down the hard power track using military force. Instead, what it wants to do is to use economic power. And it's been doing that through the Belt and Road Initiative, mm. pouring a lot of its money out. The problem for China is the problem which Britain had 200 years ago, which is that Britain was sucking in, as the factory of the world, so much money from overseas that if it wasn't careful, it would have sucked in the rest of the world's money. Yeah. And so the British then had to export their money, and they did that by sending it off to the colonies like Canada, Australia, New Zealand, even to the United States. Mm -hmm. And so the Chinese are doing the same thing. They've made so much money that they've got to send the money back overseas 
so that people will have money in their pockets better buy more Chinese goods and services. <laughs> uh, that's the way the world turns. Yes. And so China has developed this Belt and Road Initiative. And so it's building up its position in the world and is getting ready, obviously, to become the number one country for the 100th anniversary of the Chinese Revolution in the year 2049. You're listening to Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter, and this week we're discussing America's place as a global superpower and whether those days are coming to an end. Now, Keith, you were just talking about China, and there is kind of talk that what we're seeing happening with America with the, you know, calls to move away from the greenback in trade and things like that, America's fall is China's rise. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely, mm. yeah. It's not inevitable that it goes to China. Don't forget that we've looked at China's own problems. I think there's always a risk that you get so overwhelmed by the economic power of China in the last few decades that you think that they're going around 10 feet tall and whatever. Mm. China's got its own immense domestic problems. One of the most obvious recent ones has been the fact that it's now starting to run out of people. It's reached peak population. Mm. And from here on in, it's going to have a declining number of people in China. We were lucky in that we were able to build the welfare state in Australia or the United Kingdom while we were still rich. China's problem is that it doesn't have an adequate welfare state. So it's a bit like trying to build an aircraft while you're flying it. Impossible. Impossible. <laughs> and that's going to be China's difficulty. Just to put it in context, okay, China is certainly doing well, but we've got to be careful that we don't over-exaggerate mm. what's going on. And, of course, the Indians will say, don't forget about us. There are now more Indians on the planet than there are Chinese. Yeah. They've now overtaken China. And, of course, the Africans are saying, well, at the end of this century, there'll be more Africans than Indians and Chinese combined. So who wins? Who knows? Who wins, exactly. But China is obviously getting ready for what it thinks will be its number one position mm. in the world. And so it finds ways of trying to nibble away at the American foundations of global supremacy. And one of them, of course, is the supremacy of the US dollar and to try to come up with some alternative currency, perhaps working with other countries like Brazil and Russia, Indonesia, even India, what has also been called the BRIC countries, mm. to um, try to create something which is an alternative to the US dollar. It's interesting to look at what the alternatives would be. One is the euro, mm -hmm. and I've been a bit of a sceptic about the euro since it was started a mm. quarter of a century ago because it's an economic straitjacket if you sign up to it. Mrs Thatcher opposed it. I normally don't endorse Mrs Thatcher, <laughs> but I think she was onto a winner this time um, in terms of opposing the euro. But the euro has certainly lasted longer than I was predicting when I started speaking on the euro in the early 1990s. So the euro is one alternative currency. Another one is the Japanese yen. Okay. The problem for Japan is that it's past its prime. So if you go back to the whole issue of the dollar crisis back in um, the early 1970s, at that time, the Asian country that people worried about was Japan. That's right. Japan was growing rapidly. Mm. And so the economy was booming. And so the Japanese yen was, has been seen as an important currency. But the problem is that the Japanese are also running the risk of, of running out of young people. You've also got the Chinese yuan, which is the third possibility. 
or you merge it in with others. At the moment, the American dollar remains the prime currency simply because people can't come up with a good alternative to it. It's clearly not going to be the British pound. Mm. That era has gone. Yeah. Uh, similarly with the French franc, that era has gone. And the, in fact, the French franc no longer exists. It's part of the euro. Mm. And so there is this period, you know, where, where people are using the technical term is de-dollarization. Mm -hmm. In other words, we've lived in a dollarized world since 1945 when most international transactions have been conducted via U.S. dollars, contracts are expressed in terms of U.S. dollars if you're buying oil from the Middle East or, or grain from Australia, etc. We're now looking at this era called de-dollarization when people are no longer just going to be thinking in terms of the U.S. dollar. But the problem is we don't have a clear alternative. Will the U.S. fight to keep this, you know, their dollar, the dollar for global trade? Oh, absolutely. You mm. know, it becomes almost a status symbol. Yeah. I've lived through the devaluation of the British currency. Of course, the currency now fluctuates on a second-by-second -second basis. But in the days of the fixed currency, it was a sign of national ego that you had a strong currency. Mm. And then when they devalued, you just get so traumatised by that experience. Now, of course, we don't have fixed currencies. Mm. We allow the currencies to move against each other second by second. So some of the trauma of a devalued currency has gone. That it's certainly a very difficult situation in which we're now involved. And what will happen um, to the US if its dollar is turfed? Well, I think that it'll be further evidence that the US economy is in decline. Remember, the, the British pound was the global currency when that disappeared in the 1940s. That was a reminder that Britain was finished as the global superpower. And if the Americans lose their position with the dollar as the base of global transactions, people will say, well, that's further evidence of the decline of the United States. Well, it might be something we're seeing in our lifetimes, Keith. Thanks for your time today. Thank you. Global Truths is presented by Dr Keith Souter and me, Sasha Barber-Gatt. Audio production by Niall Fernandez. Theme and original music by Matt Nikolic.